It's all quiet in the underground bunker. Doors closed, locks bolted. But the great one isn't just resting on his laurels. He's making sure your weekend is even better by giving you his best. This is the best of Mark Levin. As somebody who studies these things, welcome America. I would advise Taiwan, if communist China attacks you, you attack the mainland of China. Playing defense, you will lose. You're an island. They will encircle your island. They will pound the island. They'll try and control it by air. They'll try and ensure that your weapon systems are not resupplied by the United States or anybody else. They are prepared for war, the Communist Chinese. We are not. They have massively increased their offensive capabilities. We have not, particularly in that part of the world. We're too busy chasing former President Trump and debating over how wide open the border should be and whether little boys are actually little girls and whether the word recession actually means recession. We are under Joe Biden and a Democrat Congress, a nation in decline, which is why we must win the next election and win massively. Massively. And we must immediately build up our military, secure our border, support chiefs of police who will lower the hammer, judges who will put people in jail for breaking the law, remove prosecutors who refuse to prosecute, and bring sanity back to this nation. But my advice to the Taiwanese military, the Taiwanese president, the Taiwanese people is go on the offensive. Hit Beijing. They won't expect it. Hit their ports. Do the best you can. I know your Air Force is relatively small by comparison. By comparison. Nonetheless, it can't just be an island nation and accept an invasion by air, sea, and eventually troops. You're a nation of less than 30 million people. That's a country 1.4 billion people. One of the reasons Ukraine is having so much difficulty, in my view, is not only have they been denied the kind of long-range missiles and artillery that have been used against them, but they've been told not to hit Russia. I'm not talking about Moscow. I'm talking about Russian military forces relatively close to the border on the Russian side of the border. That is nuts. But more on that either later today or at another time. This administration is now trying to redefine recession as it cannot define women, as it tries to redefine education and everything else. Are we going to go along with this insanity, ladies and gentlemen, this self-aggrandizing, self-promoting BS? We're in a recession right now. I've been telling you this for months. As a matter of fact, we're heading towards stagflation. Because the same Fed that failed to slowly raise interest rates in the face of the junkies in Congress who spend and spend and spend and spend, 
both parties, but mostly the Democrat Party. They've brought us this horrendous inflation. And yes, we have a recession. And yes, we're moving into stagflation. You raise interest rates, you sell less stuff. That's the way it works. It's not being offset by tax cuts the way Reagan handled it. Tax cuts. They want to increase taxes. They want to increase debt. They want to increase spending. They want to increase regulations. And at the heart of it is their war on fossil fuels, American energy. Not only will they back, not back off, but they're doubling down, tripling down. They seek to deny you gasoline, oil. They seek to deny you, when the time comes, electricity. We have a, a, diverse, a diverse energy system now, based on coal, based on nuclear, based on electric, based on natural gas, based on oil, based on propane, and so forth. The Democrats want to eliminate that diversity. They've already eliminated energy independence. And they want you all relying on electricity. We do not have enough electricity for all of us to rely on electricity for all things. And we never will. Because the Democrats and the Marxists will not allow it. They won't allow it. That's why not on a single news program that talks about climate change or energy prices or any of the rest of it, do they lay out with any specifics, any blueprint, any, from anybody, a realistic, substantive blueprint that moves us from one to the other? They have none. They can't. Where do solar panels come from? China. Where do these batteries come from? Most of it, the third world and China. Do the batteries create all kinds of toxins after 10 years of use they blow out? Answer, yes. How do you get the material that is used to make these batteries? Well, you go to places like Africa and you destroy their environment because you're going to need a hell of a lot of it. And where else? Well, Afghanistan, I don't think they're going to make it available to us. And where else? Ukraine. It's one of the reasons Russia is trying to take Ukraine. What's it any of our business? And communist China. Unfortunately, most of it isn't in Britain or France or the United States or any of the free nations. Just the way it is. That's why none of these so-called news programs, none of them, show us the actual blueprint getting from A to B. All we hear is hysterics. It's an existential threat. We're running out of time. The oceans are rising. The oceans are, are falling. Look at this. It's hotter this record year than it was hotter the record year before and hotter the record year before that. Every time you break a sweat, there's supposedly some kind of record. Everybody wants to move to Florida. So when other parts of the country feel like Florida... You know, the, uh, the sky is falling. The same idiots. The same idiots. Of course, shortages of baby formula. Shortages of gasoline. Shortages of all kinds of food. The same people who can't control the supply tra- chain. 
They know how to fix energy, ladies and gentlemen. They know how to get you energy. Clean energy. Clean. But windmills aren't clean. They need a backup system, batteries. We don't have batteries right now that have the capacity to back them up. If we did, they'd be massive. And they've had all kinds of toxic materials that are used to build them. And ultimately, they need fossil fuels to back them up. Fossil fuels to back them up. Imagine, we're all going to plug in our cars at night, too. And our trucks. And we're going to plug in the trains. And everything else. To an electrical grid that can barely handle what's being done today. Well, how will we fix that? We can't. Not now. Recession. The people who brought us this recession are bringing us stagflation. And as I've said a thousand times before, if we're not careful, we'll be in a depression. I'm convinced if we have passed that five to six trillion dollar insanity bill, the Biden insanity bill, we'd be in a depression right now. But they want to they want to rejigger it a bit and get at least another trillion or two in there of which we do not have the money to pay for. Now, this is not just an incompetent administration. It is filled with liars and ideologues. They don't take credit for anything that they've done. The borders not secure, the borders wide open, fentanyl coming in, produced by communist China, pushed by the Mexican drug cartels. 110,000 young people mostly have died. It's the biggest killer of young people in our country, and we're told the border is safe and secure. How many rapes are taking place of women and little kids? Numbers aren't kept. Oh, I see. I see. How many people are being killed, both murdered and dying from natural causes, attempting to get across that border illegally? We don't know. Why? Numbers aren't being kept. Instead, we get a media in this country filled with losers like the hell's his name? Oh, Jeremy Peters. Mark Levin. Did you know Fast Growing Trees is the biggest online nursery in America with more than 10,000 different kinds of plants and over 2 million happy customers in the U.S.? They have everything you could possibly want like fruit trees, palm trees, evergreens, house plants, much, much more. Whatever you're interested in, they have it for you. Find the perfect fit for your climate and space. Fast Growing Trees makes it easy to order online and your plants are shipped directly to your door in one to two days. And along with their 30-day Alive and Thrive guarantee, they offer free plant consultation forever. My wife Julie and I decided it was time to add more flowering trees to our landscape, and Fast Growing Tree was a great resource for us. A large selection and no hassle ordering or shipping. This spring, they have the best deals online, up to half off on selected plants and other deals. And listeners to our show get an additional 15% off their first purchase when using the code LEVIN at checkout. L-E-V-I-N. Now that's an additional 15% off at FastGrowingTrees.com using code LEVIN at checkout. FastGrowingTrees.com, code L-E-V-I-N. Offer is valid for a limited time. Terms and conditions may apply. Please visit FastGrowingTrees.com for details.
making your weekend even better. This is the best of Mark Levin. I was attracted to radio, even as a young kid. Not because I necessarily wanted to be on radio, not because I necessarily thought people on radio were cool, although I did in many regards. Because I saw it then, and I see it today, as the most ubiquitous outlet to get across a point of view. And in addition to that, I guess when I was 13 or 14, for reasons I can't completely explain, I became focused like a laser on America's founding. What makes America so great? And it was fortuitous that my family and I lived about an hour or 45 minute train ride from Independence Hall. I would take the train with my buddy Eric Christensen. His apartment was above a pharmacy. As a young kid, he lived with his mother. We'd take the train, it was the Reading, became the uh, SEPTA train, down to the Market Street, Market Street uh, Station in Philadelphia, not too far from City Hall. But rather than making a right turn, we'd make a left turn and walk a bit to Independence Hall. And we did this many, many weekends. And we walked through Independence Hall. We read everything we could read. The park guards, we talked to them, learned as much as we could. The first custom house, Betsy Ross's home. The burial place for Benjamin Franklin and his wife. We'd walk around that Independence Hall, which was the Pennsylvania State Assembly Building. We'd look at the assembly room. We'd look at the chair. The chair where George Washington sat. We were looking at a room where the Declaration of Independence was debated, amended, and adopted. We were looking at a room where almost a decade later, the Constitution of the United States for five and a half hot Philadelphia summers was debated and debated and then adopted to send to the states. We saw where the Supreme Court met. Really a little room, probably the size of a den or a family room at first. We saw what's called the upper house, the Senate, where the Senate met. The lower house, on the first level, the lower level where the house met. That's why one's called the upper house and one's called the lower house. We saw Abraham Lincoln on the front, on the sidewalk, gave his speech in Independence Hall, where John Kennedy gave his speech, where Woodrow Wilson gave his speech, where Coolidge gave his speech, rejecting what Woodrow Wilson had said. 
when we were kids, the Liberty Bell was housed in Independence Hall. Now, of course, it's housed in Constitution Hall, which they built across the way. This is in my blood, as it is in your bloodstream. This had never happened, never happened in the course of humanity. And I dare say it'll never happen again. This building, this place, where our founding document and our governing documents were debated and adopted. The creation of the most successful human experiment in the history of mankind. In the history of mankind. What a fantastic America. Greater than Athens, greater than Rome, greater than anything that came before. Standing on the shoulders of Athens and Rome, and in many ways the British Parliament. The men who gathered there for the Declaration and the Constitution were very, very brave men. No matter what you've heard about them, no matter what they're saying about them. These are men who put aside their lives and their fortunes, put aside their families. Traveling was difficult. Disease was widespread. To establish the freest, most just, most prosperous nation on the face of the earth. They didn't know it at the time, but what they did know is that they were creating the foundations for such a country. They're condemned by the enemies of this country today for not resolving all the conflicts right there and then. No country does that. It was an impossibility. But they created the avenues through which a more perfect nation could over time be established. But the nation had to be established in the first place. And they did a pretty damn good job of it. And so it is when you listen to this program, it's a little different than most programs. I know there's a lot going on today. I know there are a ton of issues, a ton of sound bites, but I am deeply, deeply concerned, as I've been for a long time, about the survivability of this republic from enemies, foreign and especially domestic. And what's being created in this country? The totalitarian techniques. Repeating the big lies. The mob rule. All in the name of the rule of law. All in the name of the justice. The very people. 
or undermining this republic are claiming to defend it and protect it. If their enemy is not Donald Trump, their enemy is Ronald Reagan. If their enemy is not Ronald Reagan, their enemy is Richard Nixon. If their enemy is not Richard Nixon, their enemy is Thomas Jefferson. It's not Thomas Jefferson, it's George Washington. If it's not George Washington, down the list. Every imperfection of a great, large society with such a diverse population is exploited. Is exploited. Every act of freedom is attacked. They tell us equity, not even equality. Equity is why man exists. No, equity is not why man exists. Some people are smarter than others. Some are stronger than others. Some are luckier than others. Some work harder than others. Liberty is why man exists in a civil and just society. The Marxists have tried equity. And despite murdering 100 million people, they still haven't gotten there. And they never will. The Declaration of Independence. Unalienable rights. Read the Declaration again. What is it all about? The Declaration is a very short document. It is the formal consensus position of those who founded America. It's based on thousands of years of experience. Thousands of years of experience. It's based on the greatest of the ancient philosophers. It's based on the Renaissance. It's based on Reformation. It's based on Judeo-Christian values. All of that in one short document. These men in Philadelphia, they didn't make up all these ideas. They studied them, they researched them, they learned them. They didn't say they had all the answers. They never said they had all the answers. Which is why they wrote a constitution that leaves you, the people, with the power to ask the questions and answer them. And the power to amend the constitution. Which is why they left so much power to the states. They knew. They knew. That they did not have all the answers. What does this have to do with anything? I watched a clip of Liz Cheney on Fox Sunday. She had all the answers. She knew who should be president and who shouldn't be president. She believes that she should be president. I watch these hosts 
I watch people like Jake Sherman. I watch politicians like Adam Kingsinger and Eric Swalwell. These are not humble people. They're self-righteous. They're narcissistic. That's, in many respects, their generation, but in most respects, it's them. We confuse these egoists with righteousness. They're not righteous. Adam Kingsinger wasn't a big Trump supporter, then all of a sudden the events of January 6th turned him against Trump. Adam Kingsinger hated Trump from day one. From day one. Liz Cheney wasn't a big Trump supporter, and then January 6th occurred, and then she decided she was going to save the country and the Republican Party from its citizens and from its members. No. She hated Trump for a long time. People who are trying to settle scores are self-aggrandizing to promote themselves. Those are not righteous people. Those are not constitutionalists. We know the media are utterly and completely ideological, aligned with the Democrat Party, and fully corrupt. They've demonstrated this to us, which is why they are despised more than any other institution in America, because they deserve to be. They've done enormous damage to this country, to the society, to the politics, and to our constitutional order. Mark Levin. You are listening to the best of Mark Levin. The same people trying to destroy the independence of the Supreme Court and pack it with uh, ideologues of their ilk claim to be worried about the public's perception of elections. The same people who call the Supreme Court right-wing, illegitimate, that justices lied, that have threatened justices on the Senate floor, are concerned you might find the election illegitimate. But now, unfortunately, everything I've been saying has come true. This is why I spend an enormous amount of time on it on this program. This is the Washington Compost, a story breaking right now, by Carol Linig, Devlin Barrett, Josh Dawsey, and Spencer Shue. That's four reporters. Justice Department investigating Trump's actions in January 6th criminal probe. People familiar with the probe said investigators are examining the former president's conversations and have seized phone records of top aides. The Justice Department is investigating President Donald Trump's actions as part of its criminal probe of efforts to overturn the 2020 election results, according to four people familiar with the matter. To overturn the results, you see. Prosecutors who are questioning witnesses before a grand jury 
So this thing is now moved from Congress and politics and the Constitution into criminalization. Exactly what I told you they were doing. And I could give you other examples in history, not just Jefferson, but others. But you see how disastrous this is. Prosecutors who are questioning witnesses before a grand jury, including two top aides to Vice President Mike Pence, I assume one of them is Mark Short, have asked in recent days about conversations with Trump, his lawyers and others in his inner circle, who sought to substitute Trump allies for certified electors from some states, Joe Biden won, according to two people familiar with the matter. So now we have prosecutors and investigators at the federal level, criminally investigating things that Trump said to advisors, including his lawyers, about challenging the results of the election. Now, how dangerous is that? Of course, both spoke on condition of anonymity to discuss an ongoing investigation, which, of course, is a crime, and the irony is not lost on anybody. The prosecutors have asked hours of detailed questions about meetings Trump led in December 2020 and January 2021. His pressure campaign on Pence to overturn the election. And what instructions Trump gave his lawyers and advisors about fake electors and sending electors back to the states, the people said. These are crimes. They're trying to put together a case, ladies and gentlemen, because these people really are constitutional illiterates. It doesn't matter. The media don't care. None of them care about obstructing an official, you know, count about trying to overturn the election, in effect, in a coup. This is what they're doing. In addition, Justice Department investigators in April received phone records of key officials and aides in the Trump administration, including his former chief of staff, Mark Meadows. According to two people familiar with the matter, that effort is another indicator of how expansive the January 6th probe had become well before the high-profile televised House hearings in June and July on the subject. B.S. This committee in the House has been working for months and months and months, well before April. And I just wish the Washington Post could report an honest story. It's incapable of it. The Washington Post and other news organizations have previously written that the Justice Department is examining the conduct of Eastman, Giuliani, and others in Trump's orbit. But the degree of prosecutors' interest in Trump's actions has not been previously reported, nor has the review of senior Trump aides' phone records. A Trump spokesman did not immediately respond to a request for comment. A Justice Department spokesman and a lawyer from Meadows both declined comment. Well, why would the Justice Department speak? They're leaking. They're not going to speak on the record. The revelations raise the stakes of an already politically fraught probe involving a former president still central to his party's fortunes who has survived previous investigations and two impeachments. Long before the January 6th investigation, Trump spent years railing against the Justice Department and the FBI. The investigation moving closer to him will probably intensify the antagonism. Oh, you think? You think? Got a story here about whistleblowers coming forward about how the Department of Justice focuses on 
Republicans and conservatives and not Democrats and liberals. Federal criminal investigations are by, des- are by design opaque and probes involving political figures among the most closely held secrets at the Department of Justice. Apparently not. Many end without criminal charges. The lack of observable investigative activity involving Trump and his White House for more than a year after the January 6th attack has fueled criticism, particularly from the left, that the Justice Department is not pursuing the case aggressively enough. Yeah, because the Democrat Party is pushing this from within justice, within the U.S. attorneys, and outside. I'm trying to understand how and why Trump partisans and lawyers sought to change the outcome of the election. One person familiar with the probe said, investigators also want to understand at a minimum what Trump told his lawyers and senior officials to do. Any investigation surrounding the effort to undo the results of the election must navigate complex issues of First Amendment protected political activity and when or whether a person's speech could become part of an alleged conspiracy in support of a coup. And I would ask these four reporters to look at American history and controversial elections. Many elements of the sprawling January 6th criminal investigation have remained under wraps, but in recent weeks the public pace of the work has increased with a fresh round of subpoenas, search warrants, and interviews Pence's former chief of staff, Mark Short, and lawyer Greg Jacob appeared before the grand jury in downtown Washington in recent days, according to the people familiar with the investigation. And by the way, Short is a Trump hater. Justice Department efforts are separate from the inquiry underway by the House Committee. Oh, really? Which has sought to portray Trump as responsible for inciting the Capitol riot, for being derelict in his duty for refusing to stop it, both Short and Jacob testified before the committee telling lawmakers that Pence resisted Trump's attempts to enlist him in the cause. So what? So what? He resisted the efforts, he did what he thought he should do, and that was that. Unlike the Justice Department, the House panel does not have the power to launch criminal investigations or charge anyone with wrongdoing. Really? Well, they have launched criminal-like investigations. The Justice Department probe began amid the smoke, blood, and chaos at the Capitol and has led to criminal charges against more than 840 individuals, expanding to include an examination of events that occurred elsewhere in the days and weeks before the attack, including at the White House and state capitals and at a D.C. hotel. There are two principal tracks, boy, they know a lot, presumably, of the investigation that could ultimately lead to additional scrutiny of Trump, two people familiar with the situation said, also speaking on the condition of anonymity, to discuss an ongoing investigation. All right, this is coming out of the Attorney General's office and the U.S. Attorney's office. If they're talking about tracks, the first centers on seditious conspiracy and conspiracy to obstruct a government proceeding. What did I tell you? The type of charges already filed against individuals who stormed the Capitol on January 6th and on two leaders of far-right groups, Stuart Rhodes and Harry Enrique Torrio, who did not breach the Capitol but were allegedly involved in planning the day's events. The second involves potential fraud associated with the false elector scheme. That's what I told you. With pressure Trump and his allies allegedly put on the Justice Department and others to falsely claim that the election was rigged and votes were fraudulently cast. 
This is way, 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 way out of line. This is an incredibly dangerous territory. Incredibly dangerous territory. You can't challenge elections. You can't challenge electors. You can't suggest that a second group of electors be sent to Washington. That's Congress's job to sort that out. Whether you think it's wise or ethical, that's beside the point. It's not criminal. We're now going to have the United States U.S. Attorney's Office in Washington, D.C. determine in every election what kind of pressure campaigns or lobbying campaigns of state legislatures, of electors, is criminal and is not? Are you kidding me? Seditious conspiracy? Conspiracy to obstruct a government? Not until the electors are counted has the election been concluded. Not until the electors are counted has the election been concluded. Recent subpoenas obtained by the Post. Obtained by the Post. That is leaked by the government to the Washington Post. So the two Arizona state legislators were ordered to turn over communications with any member, employee, or agent of Donald J. Trump or any organization advocating in favor of the 2020 re-election of Donald Trump, including Donald J. Trump for President, Inc. So what concerns me about this, ladies and gentlemen, is the utter and complete misapplication of criminal law to political events protected by the Constitution. And knowing the makeup of the judges in Washington, D.C., and knowing the makeup of the party identification of grand jury members and of jury members, this is a disaster for the country. No former president has ever been charged with a crime in the country's history. In cases when investigators found evidence suggesting a president engaged in criminal conduct, as with Richard Nixon and Bill Clinton, investigators and successive administrations concluded it was better to grant immunity or forego prosecution. One goal was to avoid appearing to use government power to punish political enemies and assure the tradition of a peaceful transfer of power. Attorney General Merrick Garland has vowed that the January 6th investigation will follow the facts wherever they lead and said that no one is exempt or above scrutiny while refusing to divulge information outside of court filings. Garland told NBC News in a Tuesday interview the department pursues justice without fear or favor. Now you know he's lying through his teeth. We intend to hold everyone, anyone who is criminally responsible for the events surrounding January 6th, for any attempt to interfere with a lawful transfer of power from one administration to another accountable. That's what we do. We don't pay any attention to other issues with respect to that. Well, this article just talked about all the pressure you're getting from Democrats. And, of course, from committee members, all of them. Now, there you have it. Unbelievable. Unbelievable what they're going to do to this country. I'm telling you now. I'm telling you now. Unbelievable what they're going to do to this country. And it'll be a permanent, permanent damage that they're going to do. Permanent damage. Candidates won't know the extent to which they can lobby 
electors or state legislatures. State legislatures won't know the extent to which they can communicate with a presidential candidate. Prosecutors are taking all that activity, which is supposed to be vigorous, yes, sometimes controversial, sometimes heated, because they are doing what? Doing the work of the Democrat Party and the media. It's corrupt through and through. Neither of the statutes that this Washington Post article talks about is applicable. But you can see if the reporting is accurate, and I don't doubt it, by the way. You can see the manner in which the Department of Justice is pursuing this, like it's some street crime. And I actually want to say this. This is going to shock you folks. This was a relatively, relatively balanced news article by the Washington Post. Don't you think, Rich? It wasn't as awful as they typically are. It wasn't as awful as they typically are. But we shall see, because I'm sure as we go forward, the Washington Post will be as lousy as it always has been and always will be. Mark Levin. The Great One makes your weekend even better. This is the best of Mark Levin. What would you say if a president of the United States told his IRS commissioner to gather information from the Secretary of the Treasury who had served in the prior administration? And then directed the Department of Justice, the tax division, to conduct audits and criminal investigations of that individual because that individual was highly critical of the New Deal and the spending. That's exactly what Franklin Roosevelt did to Andrew Mellon. Even a federal judge at the end, after around 10 years of this, where Mellon agreed to pay like some pittance, $10,000, pittance for him for sure, minor amount of money at the end of the process. What would you say if a president of the United States told the Internal Revenue Service, the Commissioner, and the Secretary of Treasury to investigate a political opponent within the Democrat Party. A senator from Louisiana who'd been the governor of Louisiana. Because his populist views were concerning him, and he was running to the left of FDR and picking up a lot of support. That's what FDR did to Huey Long. But Huey Long was assassinated before the IRS could charge him with anything. What would you say if a president of the United States and put a person over at the Internal Revenue Service, 
put his brother as attorney general of the United States and directed that they collect all the information they could on conservative organizations, a handful of them, that were criticizing him, his faith, and threatening to expose certain of his infidelities. And then those organizations faced internal revenue scrutiny. Well, that's what John Kennedy did. What would you say if John Kennedy and Ben Bradley, then of Newsweek, but later of Washington Post, same company, if Kennedy shared the tax returns of certain of his political opponents, or even billionaires like John Paul Getty looked at them, reviewed them, and shared some of them with Ben Bradley. What would you think of that? Pretty bad, right? What would you say if John Kennedy and Robert Kennedy tapped the phones illegally of the most prominent civil rights leader, maybe in history, Martin Luther King, to gather information against him. They blame it on J. Edgar Hoover. J. Edgar Hoover reported to Kennedy. Kennedy reported to his brother. They listened in and tracked Martin Luther King when he was in hotels when he was with other women, when he was talking about what they were going to do in certain civil rights protests and so forth. This is well known. What about that? What about Lyndon Baines Johnson, who made all the others look like pipers? He was the FBI, the IRS, and the CIA. Can you imagine when his vice president, talk about vice presidents, Hubert Humphrey was running for president, that he had Humphrey's phone tapped because he wanted to see if Hubert Humphrey was going to abide by his positions on Vietnam and other issues? What if I told you he set FBI agents into the Democrat convention in Atlantic City to keep an eye on King and other civil rights leaders so they could report back to Lyndon Johnson if they were going to, he felt, undermine his administration so he could get on the phone and talk to them. What would you think of that? What would you think if Lyndon Johnson tapped the campaign offices, the headquarters of Barry Goldwater. Barry Goldwater used to joke, according to Lee Edwards, his, one of his top confidants, that if they wanted to have a discussion, they needed to go outside into a telephone booth because they knew they were being tapped. And what would you say, what would you say if one of LBJ's top lieutenants who appears and has appeared often on 
public television, had his own show for a long time. Got information that one of Barry Goldwater's aides was gay, which Goldwater knew way back in 1964. And leaked it to the press. Pretty bad, don't you think? They did a lot worse than that. A lot worse than that. They made threats. They made the most crooked deals. What would you say if Lyndon Johnson as a senator was able to acquire the only license for radio and a television station in Austin, Texas? No other competition. As one of the most powerful senators in Washington. What would you say about that? Made him a multimillionaire. That trouble you? What would you say if North Texas and Chicago would daily change the outcome of the 1960 election? At that time, the closest election in American history, 100,000 votes separated them by popular vote. To give Illinois and Texas to Kennedy over Nixon, what would you say? The old man, Joe Sr., was involved, obviously. You know what Nixon did about it? Nothing. He was urged to bring a lawsuit. He said no. It would divide the country. What would you do, as we talked about yesterday, in 1800, when Thomas Jefferson, on multiple occasions, warned Aaron Burr, Warned him that should he succeed in his efforts to take the presidency from Jefferson within his own party, that the Republicans would rise up in violent riots and there'd be a civil war in the country and they might well overthrow the government. Said it more than once, as you know. What would you say about that? What would you say about a president who resegregated the armed forces? Who resegregated the federal government? Who appointed racists throughout his government? president who'd been born in basically Confederate Virginia became president of Princeton what would you say about a man like that that was Woodrow Wilson now I could go on and on and on and on what would you say about a newspaper that Maggie Haberman works for, called the New York Times, whose Berlin bureau chief was sympathetic to Hitler and the Third Reich. A newspaper that knew about the Holocaust, a paper owned by 
Jewish Americans who got their relatives out of Germany knowing what was happening to the Jews in Germany and throughout Europe, the extermination of the Jews, but censored it up until and through 1944 at the request of the Democrat president, Franklin Roosevelt, but at their own behest as well. What would you say about a corporation that did that? What would you say about a corporation whose bureau chief in Moscow for 12 years was on Stalin's payroll? And he would write news account after news account defending Stalin, defending the communist revolution, and lying about what was taking place in Russia. And in 1932 especially lying about what the Russians were doing to the Ukrainians in Ukraine. Genocide. Millions starved to death. What would you say about that newspaper? What would you say about that newspaper? Who had a reporter in Cuba who was supporting the Castros and the revolution, the guerrillas, who lied about the popular support. It had no popular support. Who lied about the numbers of guerrillas who were in the mountains and in the jungles. Who gave that individual, Castro, the headlines he needed to get support from foreign entities and to build support within Cuba. What would you say about that newspaper? That news corporation? This is what goes on, on, ladies and gentlemen, inside the Beltway. They want you to believe Richard Nixon was the biggest crook ever. They want you to believe Donald Trump is the biggest thug ever. They want you to believe that all they want to do, all the Democrats want to do, all the media want to do, is to hold the lawless to account. That's all. Did Donald Trump and his lawyers dare to challenge the election to lobby state legislatures and state legislators? Did they dare to call and quote-unquote pressure their words, not Trump's? Republican officials? Pressuring Republican officials, pressuring state legislators, Ladies and gentlemen, trying to reverse what you believe to be as fatally flawed election practices and results is not a crime. And one other thing, you keep hearing, including from the Attorney General of the United States, including from these committee members, that Trump wanted to reverse the course of the election, that Trump wanted to overturn the election. The election is not complete until all members of Congress meet on January 6th, count the electoral votes from each state, and approve them. That's why Congress meets. It's called the Electoral College process. 
The election isn't over, even on election night. The election isn't over. When the electoral votes are received by the archivist, the election is over when Congress counts. Mark Levin. We're giving you nothing but the best, the best of Mark Levin. Well, ladies and gentlemen, a lot of debate over this word recession. The same people who can't define woman now cannot define recession. So consider the source. Now, the truth is we are in a recession and we've been in a recession. And now the official Washington numbers tell us we're in a recession. But the propagandists who run the government, whether it's the Fed or whether it's the White House or whether it's Congress, and their mouthpieces and the corrupt media are all of a sudden confounded about what an official recession is. We're not only in a recession, we have inflation. Now, raise your hand if you know what a recession with inflation equals. Anybody? Stagflation. Stick with me, folks. I know what I'm talking about. We've moved from a mere recession, such as it is, and mere inflation, such as it is, into stagflation. And some of the biggest hedge fund operators in the in the world it turns out today agree with me not that they're experts but a recession plus inflation equals stagflation now the democrats want to create a depression a depression how do you create a depression well when you have a recession plus inflation and you contribute to it even more by spending more money and taxing the private sector spending more money borrowing more money which contributes to more inflation taxation which increases the nature of the recession that is a worse recession a worse inflation stagflation becomes depression that's the way it is. And since Joe Biden fancies himself Franklin Roosevelt, he really desperately wants to get us into depression. But he'll blame big oil, he'll blame the private sector, big meat, big tampon, whatever it is. That's what he'll do. Now, the media lie. They lie incessantly. They lie obsessively. They're corrupt. They're ideologues. They're ignoramuses. Just as they lie about January 6th and Trump, just as they lie about Russia collusion, just as they lie about the border, just as they lie about everything else. They're in goose step with the Democrat Party because they're part of the Democrat Party, unofficially, but might as well be officially. So we take a listen to this montage from our friends at Gravy and cut one go. All signs are that this is a strong economy and the probability of a recession within the next year is not particularly elevated. It's a strong economy and and nothing about it suggests that it's that it's close to or vulnerable to 
a recession. I don't expect a recession. No, no one is predicting a recession now. We are not expecting that we are already in the recession. In fact, the guts and the bones of this economy remain strong. These are not the marks of an economy in recession. Right now, we don't see a recession. Right now, that is not, we're not in a recession right now. This is not an economy that's in recession. Not only is a recession not inevitable, but I think that a lot of people are underestimating those strengths and the resilience of the American economy. We have a strong labor market, which you don't normally see in a recession. A recession is broad-based weakness in the economy. We're not seeing that now. In your view, is a recession in the United States inevitable? No. Typically, economists date a recession as being at least two quarters of negative growth uh, and, other com- and other factors, which we have not seen at all. The idea that uh, two quarters of negative GDP growth is a technical definition of a recession is wrong. A common definition of recession is two negative quarters of GDP growth. Two quarters of negative growth in a row, that's a recession. Right, and certainly in terms of the technical definition, it's not a recession. The technical definition considers a much broader spectrum uh, of data points. What is exactly the White House's definition of a recession? Again, we don't, we don't, I'm not going to define it from here. How worried should Americans be that we could be in a recession? We're not going to be in a recession. Nobody, including, especially the White House and especially Joe Biden, is going to sugarcoat any of this. Well, I'm, I, I'm, I'm not concerned about a recession. And, I mean, you're always concerned about uh, a recession. Well, that clears things up. ABC, CBS, we're not really in a recession. Our friends at Newsbusters point that out. This is today. Cut to go. The thing we are looking for later today, that GDP report that some economists believe could show the second straight quarter of declines in our economic activity. One way that people define a recession is not the official definition of a recession. We're looking at this and we're hearing about recession. It's almost like a buzzword now. Um, Are we? Well, I mean, look, we don't know. Typically, if GDP falls for a second quarter in a row, that could signal a looming recession. But the Biden administration has been insisting that that is not the case this time around, that the economy is simply recalibrating after a post-pandemic boom. And then we have Brian Deese, who's been everywhere because he's a moron, economic advisor to Biden. Cut eight, Mr. Producer, go. We don't want to devolve into the recession label debate, but I, I do wonder, do you eventually expect the NBER to declare what we're in, a recession? Well, we're certainly in a transition and we are seeing slowing as we all would have expected. But I think if you look at the full data and the type of data that NDER looks at, uh, virtually nothing signals that uh, this period in the second quarter uh, is recessionary. Obviously, in the labor market, 3.6 percent unemployment, but also 1.2 million jobs in the second quarter, 2.7 million jobs over the first half of this year. That's not uh, what a typical people or what the NBER would typically think of uh, as recessionary. If you've never heard of the NBR before, that's okay. It's another shiny object. I wonder if there are any women on the NBR. Women, you know. People with vaginas. I'm just saying that is the typical definition of a woman. I hope I haven't offended. I mean, it's just genitalia. So we're not in a recession unless it's a Republican who's president of the United States with two quarters of negative growth. 
And the NBR, or whatever the hell it is, uh, hasn't told us we're in a recession, so I guess we're not in a recession. You know, Reagan used to blast stuff like this. So let me see if I can paraphrase Reagan. Paraphrase. You're not in a recession if you're a Democrat in Washington, if you're a reporter in Washington, or if you're a lobbyist in Washington. You are in a recession if you're anyone and everyone else. That's the Mark Levin official definition of a recession. They're telling us it's not really inflation, not really a recession until somebody somebody tells you we're in a recession. And on top of that, gas prices are actually low. They've gone down fastest on record, but they went up fastest on record. But who's counting? Again, Baby formula almost absent. Again, the price of food through the roof. Again, farmers are not able to plant as many crops as they did the prior year due to the cost of fertilizer. Again, they want you to feel pain at the pump. That's Buttigieg. So they're driving up the cost of gasoline and so forth. But here we are, ladies and gentlemen. Inflation plus recession, recession plus inflation, we have stagflation, which nobody else is talking about. Now, Schumer, who is unaffected by the recession, he's been on the government payroll longer than Joe Biden was, I think. Nancy Pelosi, another one on the government payroll for over three decades. And of course... Joe Biden, been on the government payroll uh, since birth. They're not affected by the recession. As a matter of fact, let's be honest. I speak the truth, but let's be honest. Even though costs are going up for people who work for the government, I understand it. They're not facing the same problem as most people are in the private sector. Where things are being slashed. It's just a matter of catching up with reality. With reality. We have John Avalon. John Avalon, who used to be a Republican. Now he's just a moron. He's on CNN today. Didn't cost much to buy him off, I don't think. Whatever amount he's earning over there. Cut 10, go. I, I do think that yesterday could look in the rear mirror as one of the biggest legislative days in, in, in recent American history. If you look at its impact on the economy between the CHIPS Act about China yeah, competitive, huge technology, a huge deal. Yeah. Right, you know, and then on top of that, the surprise Manchin Schumer deal that deals with lowering prescription drug prices has implications. To the economy raises revenue. So those two those two factors, which are political, are also countervailing forces to this number. Complete sellout buffoon. Complete sellout buffoon. The CHIPS Act. 50-some billion dollars to Silicon Valley, effectively. The wealthiest industry on the face of the earth needs you, the American taxpayer, the plumber, the electrician, the construction worker, the secretary, the janitor, the landscaper, 
the accountant, needs you, the nurse, needs you, the blue-collar worker, the white-collar worker. In other words, the working class to subsidize them because otherwise they're not going to invest in chip-making. Is that about right? Now, where does this $50 billion come from? Same place all the rest of it comes from. The way you entice, motivate the private sector is to get out of their way, number one, and slash their taxes, number two, so they have more available resources and capital for research and development. The private sector is incentivized by what we call capitalism, not government. That's why despite hundreds of billions spent on solar panels and propellers and all the rest, we don't have industries in that regard. So their hate, their contempt for capitalism is so deep, it's so thoroughly ideological, they won't embrace the mechanism by which you can actually achieve these things. And John Avalon obviously is a low IQ moron because he's talking about taxes during stagflation. Taxes. But don't worry, we're just sucking it to the billionaires. Just to the rich. You don't tax, increase taxes on anybody during the course of stagflation. Anybody. Because just because somebody's a billionaire doesn't mean they don't have investments that improve the lot of many, many people in the middle class. Employment, services, technologies, what have you. You don't raise taxes in the middle of a recession. You don't spend money in the middle of an inflation. But what do I know? What do I know? And now we know more about the Schumer Mansion reconciliation bill. Nearly a trillion dollars. And Manchin has always been what I told you. He's the Manchurian candidate, the Manchinian candidate. We have the Manchurian president, we have the Manchinian senator. 